Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3 a.m. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. We are diving into the world of female piracy this week, which happens to be one of my favorite topics. Something about the badass quality of these women holding their own alongside their male counterparts brings out the you-go-girl feminist yell inside of me. I chose this mama as the first female pirate we explore on the show because she didn't just roll with the other male pirates, she was their captain. As I researched her life, I was blown away by her wit and business savvy that it made perfect sense why she was able to rule for so long. It's pretty much a wholesome rags-to-riches story, if you take out the looting and ransacking, that is. Anyway, without further ado, let's get down to the business. This week's topic is Pirate Ruler of the Chinese Seas, Jing Shi. Not much is known about Jing's early life or childhood, but it is documented that she was born in 1775 in the Guangdong province of China. Jing Shi was not her birth name. In fact, she was born Shil Zhanggu, although it is not known as to why she changed her name in later years. Prior to becoming a pirate overlord, because we all have to start somewhere, Jing was a sex worker aboard a floating brothel in the Chinese city of Canton. In 1801, her life would be altered forever upon meeting pirate captain Cheng I, who, once he beheld her beauty, made it known that he intended to make her his bride. Accounts of how this proposal went down vary, but there are two solid stories I managed to rustle up. Either Cheng ordered a raid on the brothel and demanded his men to bring back Jing, or he just straight up asked her to marry him. The first, I'll admit, is a bit more exciting, but it's most likely the second tale that is true. Jing agreed to accept his proposal under one condition. She wanted power within his pirate organization, as well as equal share of whatever loot was collected. Acknowledging her requests, the pair married. Unlike Western pirate beliefs that a female aboard a ship would bring bad luck and destruction, these Chinese pirates were superstition-free, and the couple ruled over their fleet side by side. Referred to as the Red Flag Fleet, this collection of ships would grow from 200 to around 1,700 to 1,800 vessels. Color-coding the fleet made it easier to manage. While the lead ships were red, the others were made up of black, white, blue, yellow, and green. In 1807, after six years of marriage, Cheng I died, having either been lost to a tsunami or murdered in Vietnam. This put Jing in a pretty precarious situation. After all the years she spent building this crew with her husband, that now included around 50,000 to 70,000 pirates, it was likely she would have to give it up and return to her life as a sex worker. Seizing the opportunity to continue to reign, Xing developed a plan. Second in command was a man named Cheng Po, who the couple had adopted as an adult to be a part of their family. This practice was not uncommon, as it helped to establish familial ties amongst non-related people, even when well into adulthood. Upon Cheng's death, Xing developed an intimate relationship with Cheng Po, ensuring his garnered support. Once that was established, 
Jing continued to rule over the Red Flag Fleet. While her husband's tactics were a bit more brutish, she relied on her business and military knowledge to guide her crew. In stating a pirate code of conduct, each member of her fleet knew exactly what lines not to cross. Although Cheng mostly used force to rule, Jing was not to be messed with on her own, as most of the punishments for breaking the pirate code resulted in death. Some of the rules were as follows. Jing was required to clear all attacks beforehand, and failure to present it to the leader resulted in a beheading. If a pirate deserted his post or left shore without permission, the first offense resulted in a removal of his ears, because clearly he wasn't using them to begin with, and the second offense was punishable by death. Deserters of the crew would also be hunted down, and a classic ear removal would take place. One article even stated that Jing would send the ears of this captured crew member around the fleet as a warning to others who wished to follow in his footsteps. In regards to loot, all treasure must be given to the ship's superior, and if not, the first offense was punishable by a beating, while the second left a pirate sans head. Plundering of villages and the capturing of women were a given for a pirate crew, and as a woman herself, Jing had very specific rules regarding these prisoners. First, raping a female captive resulted in death, no questions asked. Second, having consensual sex with a female prisoner was still not acceptable, and while the pirate was immediately beheaded, the woman would have a weight tied around her body and thrown overboard. However, if a crew member desired to sleep with a female captive, they must first take her as their wife. Agreeing to this did not get a pirate off the hook, as a required part of this deal was to treat their wife well and remain faithful only to her. Failure to do so was punishable by, you guessed it, beheading. These harsh punishments guaranteed that her place as captain was respected, and respected it was. Amongst this code, Jing established a system to distribute loot within the fleet to benefit all involved. Allowing a ship who completed a plundering to keep 20% of the booty, the remaining 80% was added to the fleet's collective fund. This tactic allowed the Red Flag fleet to prosper, and from Macau to Canton, the crew members raided many villages, imposing taxes and levies, adding to their wealth. During this time, Jing was named the Terror of South China. Rumors began to spread about Jing's dealings in opium smuggling, but most believe she mainly stuck to looting and taxing. In an attempt to put an end to her reign, Chinese imperial fleets were commissioned to battle the Red Flag Fleet. Most pirates would resign to hiding out in caves to avoid taking on the highly skilled navy, but not Xing. She ordered her fleet to take them head on. Capturing 63 ships from the Chinese navy, the Red Flag Fleet won. Sailors abroad the naval vessels had one of two options, either join the pirate crew or be tied down to the ship and beaten to death. You can only imagine what they chose. 
This only made Jing's reign stronger, because even if she lost a significant amount of crew members during this battle, they were replaced by competent sailors. No matter who sent naval fleets to take her down, the Chinese, Portuguese, British, all were defeated by Jing. Finally fed up with trying to stop her through force, the Chinese government offered amnesty to all pirates, hoping to coax Jing into retirement. A part of this deal required pirates to kneel before the Chinese officials and relinquish their loot. Jing wasn't having any of that. Refusing to back down, months of negotiations between Jing and the government ended in a deadlock. That is, until she did something unexpected. Making a grand entrance to Chinese official Zhang Bailing's office, Qing showed up unarmed, surrounded by 17 women and children. A face-to-face -face discussion finally put these negotiations to rest. Jing was allowed to keep her loot, but that still left the pesky idea of having to kneel before the Chinese government. In order to comply, it was agreed that Qing would marry her lover, Cheng Po, allowing official Ling to witness the ceremony, and in according to tradition, the couple would have to kneel before him in thanks. With that, in 1810, the pirate leader retired. Having a son with Cheng Po, Jing continued to live her life in peace. Once her partner died, she returned to her roots in Canton, opening a gambling house. It was there she remained until her death in 1844 at the age of 69. Jing's life was a tale filled with adventure, murder, and a bit of business ingenuity, making her the most respected pirate of her time, regardless of her gender. To me, this makes her story all the more interesting. And while I'm not sure the word inspired is appropriate, I feel something similar to that. You know, minus all the murder. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover, or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, Follow at Malicious Mamas on both Instagram, Twitter, and now YouTube. Also, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help out, and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas. <laughs>